Chapter 29 Sister My whole life, the same house within the same neighborhood inside the same city. The farthest I'd ever migrated my existence was one room down the hall when Dad died and Sia moved out. Every detail of my entire world was so familiar to me that I moved through it with the casual kinesthesia of a pair of hands through a morning shower routine. I could have lived inside it with my eyes closed, and in a way it was beginning to feel like I had. Traveling through the forest, I thought back on the sleepwalk my life had seemed. I dredged my childhood. I sifted and panned for bright things in the silt and found so much that was shiny. I remembered the time Sammy filled his super soaker with piss and sprayed all of us. Wet that t-shirt, son! The time Del and I ran away from home with a bunch of canned sausages. Sneaking over to Miri's late at night, knocking on her window and kissing in the backyard. Reading poetry with Dad. Sammy and I getting high together for the first time, eating an entire box of garlic and chive croutons, then puking. All these pretty pieces, these found flecks of gold in the stream of my forgetfulness, I wondered if they were me. In the truest sense, literally, the same way as cells or spinal fluid, am I made of these things that float around inside my heart and my head? If yes, then what are we to each other? These are my favorite people. I love my friends very much. I glanced around at Sia and Sammy, Del and Haruki, at Miri, and thought about how much of me is really them, how much of my love is made of theirs and vice versa. All of our hearts mingling with shades of the others like overlapping color wheels. Holly singularities, indivisibly embedded. Again, I didn't notice that I was talking out loud. Shh. A finger over her lips, just between us. Sia gave me a gentle hush. She looked concerned. Our last day in the woods was, for the most part, a quiet walk. A pubic elk here, some birds there... Not much conversation in between. As we went along, Haruki named for us whichever sounds were new. Though in a different way, he was just as taken with the forest as Sia. It was cool to see the varied joys still to be found in this horrible trip. I think it probably helped take some of my guilt away. To fill the space, Yolandi asked if I knew any poems I might be willing to recite. Haruki and Dell encouraged the idea and asked, please. Sia had a suggestion. What about the one Dad used to read to us? The one about the pearl? It had always been one of her favorites. I didn't want to. I said, I really don't feel like it. I'm too tired, exhausted. Excuses, excuses. But Brad kindly imposed himself and relieved me of them scooting between my legs again and giving Miri and me a lift. Come on, Remy, my friends prodded, all but Sammy. He still had his earbuds in, was still stewing privately. 
Brad gave a quick arch to his back and puffed out a goat noise, repeating the crowd's sentiment. Do you remember all of it? I could tell my sister would really like to hear, and she definitely deserved it. Yeah, I do. A sighed resignation. My friends clapped cheerfully as I cleared my throat. Brad flapped an ear up to get a good listen. An unspoken word polished slow to a rainbow. The small opalescence of one immense thought. A sharp sound inside of soft lips that won't open. Smoothed into something so perfectly lost. Confessions of love, names for God and small secrets. These pearls we compress under oceans of doubt. Why speak up when tides rush in just to recede again? What if it all leaves us once we make a sound? A lifetime of dreams on the tip of your tongue. A scream that weighs so much it crushes itself. The feeling folds in, folds again, and then hums a song made of all of the things we won't tell. These little gifts we keep inside the shell of our own gravity. Breath is held and lips are sealed, and so the silence goes. Our colors, words, and secrets shrink into a tiny masterpiece. A perfect pearl that's hid beneath a heart that no one knows. More small claps. Haruki thought it lovely. Del said he didn't get it, and Yolandi asked for another. I didn't feel like it. The poem had left me sad, and Sia, too, I could tell. Yolandi picked up on it. Thank you, she said, leaving it there. That was very pretty. Brad's ear flapped back down. Blah. He thought it was garbage. The trees came more and more sparsely, appearing less healthy, dwindling to emaciated and crooked versions of the previous. It was no dramatic shift from one landscape to another. Our exit from the forest came as a gradual thaw, with colors and warm things melting slowly away, tapering to gray coldness and thin air. Our moods corresponded in chilling degrees. We'd made it to the mountains. Thick fog framed the view like a dirty window pane. Through it, the setting sun was reduced to a dim street lamp, small and not doing a whole lot. The air and rocks shared a limited palette of gloomy purples and shades more ghost, with tiny patches of bright green moss speckled like a rash on the surface, soggy lichens upon which Brad continued to munch. To our right, hard and sharp, the rocks became mountains, jetting upward and disappearing into mist. The incline was steep, and judging by the little we'd walked, there was nothing traversable about it. Rough going even for a poofy goat, let alone Miri and me. Dark came quickly and felt heavy in the fog, there was no stray wood, so Dell provided by chopping into one of the sad stragglers we'd passed. A couple trips later, he and Haruki'd brought back enough for the night. Progressed in its deadness, the wood burned hot and fast. It was a good fire, 
Our campsite looked like the glowing corner of some cloud dream. Orange flames diffused into the breathy purple air to surreal effect. This mountain world had many faces, could be many different things, and something in me knew it was only getting started. We settled in and commiserated over Dell's kill. Passing jerky and water, we circled through dramatic retellings of the amazing battle we'd witnessed, making Dell feel awesome in well-deserved ways. All except Sammy. He got high and wore the most negative of energies, bringing everyone else down. We'd all had enough, and I finally decided to say so. What is it with you? Why are you being so fucking miserable? Seriously, dude, tell me. So we did. The lid came off at last. Sammy stood up, perceivably vibrating with what anger he'd been holding. Veins and scars and muscles and clenched fists. He began by calling me a faggot. A fucking faggot, pussy-ass, weak piece of shit. Told me I always had been. A bitch boy. A feminine fuck toy. A fucking pink poetry faggot just like my dad. A faggot fuck buddy. A G-spot. A nothing. I felt certain he was going to hit me. Sammy's heatedness continued to bubble such colorful word froth. I was gay and soft and useless and this and that until his hateful vocabulary exhausted. Then we got to the core of things. I was someone who never deserved his sister. That last word damaged him. Sister. It opened Sammy up, and he was hurting in front of us. He wasn't looking at me anymore. I don't even believe it was me he was speaking to. My sister, bro. Miri, bro. Why couldn't you leave with her? Why couldn't you just leave? Bro, she told me. She told me she asked you. So many times. Why couldn't you, bro? Mary. The tears finally came, and they took him over. Sammy sat down, and with his face in his hands, he sobbed. He said his sister's name, and he cried, and kept crying. It's what needed to happen, so we let it. Night falls, and emotions are heavy. The campfire burns. This entire experience, for all of us, is a perpetually renewed trauma. Fall asleep and wake up to it again. No lull, no rest, no healing or processing. Camaraderie is our crutch, dwindling now, a splinter unsteady at best. Everything is fucked up beyond words. The darkest of adjectives can't convey it. They paint the feeling like clown makeup on a black hole. Trying to sleep, I lie thinking of all the opportunities to die, which I've somehow avoided, and I regret each one. I don't want to do this anymore. Quiet, besides the crackle of the campfire, this is where my mind is when an old familiar sound requests my attention. A little poot. A tiny bubble of gas escapes Miri's bottom. I feel it with my hands, too. Miri poots always smelled like carrots and ginger. Even the scent was endearing. 
Not this one, though. It is rotten. Another poot. Louder this time, and worse smelling. And then another. Brah! Sammy hollers from his sleeping bag. Quit shitting your pants over there! I don't say anything. Mary farts again. The sound is especially nasty this time. Bro! Sammy is leaning up now. Sounds like some wet trash bags slapping together. Dell starts to giggle. More gas leaves Miri. Remy, really? Tia's voice has a smile on it. Straight dumping over there? That smells horrible. My friend's spirits are being lightened. Sammy doesn't want to kill me anymore. There's laughter and levity. Priceless, all positive things. I don't want to. I really, really don't want to. But I can't help it. I start to cry. It's not me, I say. It's Miri. She has gas. I make the good feeling turn weird. And then I'm crying inside of the weirdness. The laughter of my friends is transformed to a densely awkward silence that Miri continues to poot through. It's too absurd. It's too much. I'm crazy with sadness. I hold Miri and cry while they listen. I feel like the injured person on the island that everyone wishes would just go ahead and die already. I don't want to make noise. I don't want to be crying. I didn't want to take the good feeling away. But I can't help it. I'm falling apart. I'm falling apart. I'm talking out loud again. I'm sorry. Mary farts some more. We're both sorry. We're really sorry. The smell is incredible. No one says a word.